Glory! Some of you need to spend a little less time on the Facebook and a little more time in the Facebook. I said, I said, some of you need a little less memes and a little more time on your knees. Glory to God! Well, hey everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of and the internet's best kept secret. I wanted to let you guys know about a couple of amazing, life-changing events coming up in the month of October, and I don't just mean my birthday. My good friend and fellow outlaw in the gospel, Matt Spinks, is coming to Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, we're going to be teaming up for our Joy Transformers event. So we'll be sharing uh, worship leading and speaking duties, and it's going to be outrageous. A few uh, days ago, we had a planning meeting, and I am telling you, we could hardly have a coherent conversation. There was just so much of that thick, heavy, weighty anointing. And so our goal with these is just to create a space where people can experience the raw, blissful presence of Jesus and be refreshed in the truth of the gospel. And we're expecting big. We're expecting miracles to break out. We're expecting angelic visitations. We're expecting prophetic utterances to be given. And so if that sounds as fun to you as it does to me, then come join us. It's free. All the cool kids are doing it. And you can find the info for all of that in the description of the episode. Um, That same weekend, uh, this is all going to be held at Grace Point a church here in Lakewood. Matt's also going to be speaking at that church on Sunday morning, and I'll be leading, so we'd love to see you there as well. But the very next weekend, I'm headed to Fort Wayne for round two of Joy Transformers. There is really nothing on earth quite like this fantastical bliss community that Matt and Katie have built in Fort Wayne, and I am so excited to be with them. And lastly, at the end of October, I'm headed to Portland, Oregon for the annual Kainos Koinonia event. Um, I'll be leading worship at this thing, and I would love to see you there. However, this does have a registration fee. So again, if you want all of the info, just check the description of the episode. I will link to Matt's site. He's got all the details that you need. Now, as you probably could have guessed from the title, I want to talk to you guys about supernatural, miraculous, divine healing, thus saith the Lord. Now, although this is something I've touched on uh, quite a bit over the course of producing this show, I feel really stirred lately to revisit it in depth. This is a subject that I hold so near and dear to my heart And I really feel like now is the time to unpack all that I've learned in the last seven years since I started pursuing it. And you know what? Taking a stand in these matters hasn't exactly been easy. I cannot tell you how much crap I've taken for having the audacity to believe that God actually wants everyone to be well. How much mocking and misunderstanding 
misunderstanding and mislabeling. And beyond that, by saying yes to praying for the sick, I've often ended up in some horrifying and emotionally taxing situations. So why then? Why am I so passionate about this? Why am I willing to lose friends? Why am I willing to keep after it year after year when I see successes and failures? Well, to answer that, I want to share with the story from my own life. Way back in November of 2012, God touched my family in such a powerful way that it radically shifted the course of our lives. Now, people say that word radically, but I do mean radically. Now, we'll get to that part of the story, but first, a little context. Growing up, my parents were pastors in the Nazarene denomination. If you aren't familiar with that denomination, they are like relatives of the Methodists. They're Wesleyans. And there's a lot that I am so deeply grateful for about my church upbringing. The Nazarenes are inclusive and accepting of a wide range of theological views. And in many ways, this laid the groundwork for my journey into my current beliefs in things like inclusion and Trinitarian theology. They have a value for mystery, and they're also famous for their afternoon naps. But as theologically open as they are, in regards to the Holy Spirit, I mostly experienced a bit of hesitancy towards the supernatural. Now, it's not like I ever heard anybody preach against the gifts of the Spirit. It's just that I never once remember experiencing or hearing about somebody getting healed, except for maybe the occasional missionary story in Africa or something. You can imagine then how shocking and frightening it was for my parents when I came back from Bethel Church in Redding, California, getting drunk in the spirit and waving praise banners and talking at length about miraculous healings. But you have to understand, this was a massive answer to prayer for me. When I first encountered Jesus at 16, I poured over the book of Acts daily I read the extensive accounts of miracles and supernatural happenings and became more and more convinced that these things should be normal, right? Um, you know, it's been said a lot that if you just took somebody who is a brand new believer, had never heard any teaching and gave them a New Testament, you know, they would walk out wondering where all the miracles are at. And that was definitely my experience. So I used to cry out to God asking, what is the deal? Why aren't we seeing this God? You know, what do I have to do to see the miraculous in my life? And so when I finally discovered that the Holy Spirit is very much still alive and still very active all over the world, I was excited a whole new dimension of experiencing God was opened up to me, and I had to tell everyone I knew about what I'd seen and heard. The more excited I got, however, the more apprehensive my dad got. And this culminated in a heated exchange where I finally dared him to visit Reading with me and see for himself if it was of God. Now, we Harmons are famous for our stubbornness, so he reluctantly agreed. I cannot exaggerate how nightmarish this family road trip was at first. Two weeks before we were supposed to leave, my mom broke her leg at work. 
She had to use crutches and uh, wear a boot. Now, the sad slash funny part of this is that the hotel we were going to stay at forgot that we specifically asked for a first floor room. But then they booked us on the third floor. And not only that, their elevator was broken. <laughs> so I shouldn't, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but my poor mom fell down several steps trying to hobble up a flight of stairs. And I can laugh now because I know the end of the story. But looking back on this moment now, it was, it's, it's like watching Eeyore sulking in a rainstorm. But anyway, our plan was to stay for the weekend. So we were going to hit the Friday night service, the Saturday morning healing rooms, and then the Sunday morning and Sunday night services. And my hope was that by going to the Friday night service, it would help kind of smooth things over, help them ease into the experience before we got to the healing rooms. Because remember, healing was a totally foreign and out there concept at the time. Now again, not that they were against it per se, it's just that when you get up close to this kind of thing, it can be pretty disorienting. Now sadly, my plan didn't actually work out that way because the weekend before us, Georgian Banoff was in town. And if you don't know who that is, he is known as the Joy Apostle. Whenever he shows up, it's pandemonium. Bodies everywhere. Hysterical, supernatural, la supernatural laughter breaks out. People stumble around, absolutely hammered, drunk in the spirit. And that drunkenness lingered over into the next Friday when we showed up. And so bless their hearts, they did a good job, but this was definitely more than a little outside of their comfort zone. So you can imagine the next morning, they weren't too jazzed about visiting something called the healing rooms. And I was like, are you guys kidding me? That is why we're here. I'm, I think I might have actually literally dragged them. But anyway, we finally got there, we got signed in, and that's when things started to get really interesting. So at the healing rooms, uh, they convert the main sanctuary into an encounter space, and then only a few small groups at a time are actually allowed to go in there. And so my dad and I were chilling in the waiting area, and things were a little tense. I'll never forget what happened next. Suddenly, my mom came back bounding out of the sanctuary, beaming like a Christmas light, with no crutches, no brace. My dad jumped out of his seat and exclaimed, what happened? And it was like a movie scene. All they could do was cry and hold each other because my mom's busted leg was healed, like fully, completely healed. But not only that, uh, at the time, she was 40% deaf in both of her ears, and she was completely healed of that as well. And so the next thing I knew, a prayer team came and whisked my parents away and spent the next hour prophesying over them. They wept and they wept and they cried some more. And so by the end of it all, they weren't freaked out by the drunken piles of worshipers. They were joining them. But it didn't just stop there. That day... Something fundamentally shifted in the culture of our family, in the inner ecosystem of our beliefs. See, we didn't know that some of the hardest and darkest times of our lives were just around the corner. Yet here we are today, restored, full of hope, faith, and love. The only reason 
that we are the happy, healthy family that we are today is because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit that came into our family's lives. And so the strange things that they experienced might have been wildly outside of their current experience of God up to that point, but there was no denying that it was God. Because the devil, he doesn't heal broken legs and unstopped ears. The devil doesn't encourage, affirm, and restore families in the work of the gospel. Like, you never hear a story where someone's weeping because they had a dramatic encounter with the love of Satan. No, healing, deliverance, salvation, these are the continued work of Jesus Christ. And so, thankfully, that uh, conflict with my dad resolved about as neatly as I could have hoped for. On a side note, Dad, if you're listening, I hate to say I told you so, but, uh... I told you so. But I am, I am kidding, of course. The older I get, the more deeply, incredibly grateful I am for my dad's guidance. I always say, my dad was only ever catastrophically wrong about two things. The story I just told you, and back in the early 90s when I was a little kid, he didn't let me participate in the Pokemon craze that was sweeping the nation at the time. And I'll never forget my dad trying to console me by saying, Pokemon is just a fad. Uh, but actually, I just looked this up. It, it went on to become the number one media franchise of all time, beating out Star Wars' meager $70 billion with a staggering $100 billion. But I digress. <laughs> the point of this story is that what transformed my family forever wasn't just the supernatural healing that took place, but it was the inner ecosystems of beliefs that it exposed us to. Ultimately, everything that we ever knew about God and His goodness underwent a renovation that would carry us for years to come. I was having a conversation with a gentleman recently who hadn't been to church in months because of COVID-19, and he like many of us, was beginning to ask deeper questions. He began to rethink, he's, he's, he's been rethinking some things. And to me, that's been one of the biggest benefits of this whole ordeal of 2020, is that sometimes it's hard to know what you really believe, what you actually believe, way deep down in your guts, until you get away from all the peer pressure of the church environment. And so this guy and I were talking and getting to know each other and asking about each other's lives and stories. And when he found out that I not only believed in the gifts of the Spirit, but I went to that freaky Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, well, he was intrigued. But there's something about that conversation that I keep coming back to. I could tell by the hunger in his eyes that he really wanted to see the miraculous. He wanted to believe me when I said that God isn't just able to heal, but he's willing. He wanted to believe me when I said that anyone, even he, could walk in the miraculous power of God. But I could also see that it was conflicting with so much of what he had been taught about the Christian life. It was conflicting against layers of teaching. It was conflicting against his own life experience. And this is really the heart of what I want to accomplish with this series on healing. This is why I am so passionate and resolute. It's not just the restoration of bodies that I'm after. Although to be clear, that is a huge part of it. 
There is nothing like seeing someone healed of cancer or seeing someone on their deathbed restored or seeing someone who's been suffering for years with pain be set free by the mercy of Jesus. But the other part of it is that in order for the fruit of healing to really flourish, there needs to be a whole ecosystem of beliefs in place. And this is another thing that I love about healing is that it's so easily, it's just one of those subjects that for whatever reason, it so easily reveals the limits of our theology. The subject of healing acts like a thread that we can pull on to find out just how quickly and easily our theological sweaters begin to unravel. For example, if I stood up in church and said, God is good, people will of course in unison say, all the time. But for some people in that group, God is good means God will give you cancer to teach you a lesson, or God predestines people for eternity in hell. You know, for some, a little girl dying of cancer is the work of the same God who heals leprosy. So how is it that our definition of good can be so confused that we conflate the work of the devil, which Jesus said is to kill, steal, and destroy, with the work of the Father, which is life and life abundant? Or how about this one? Well, healing is good, but saving souls is better. Now, I know what people are saying when they say that. A soul waking up to faith in Christ is an absolutely fantastic, extraordinary thing to celebrate. And in some ways, I agree, it is the most important because walking with Jesus is where everything begins to fall into place for someone. But did you know that the Greek word for healing is actually the word sozo? Sozo is also the same word for salvation, deliverance, rescue, these terms are all interchangeable. And so that reveals another big issue with modern American theology is that we often partition off the soul as if it's the only part that God is really concerned with saving. You know, we get told that the, the main narrative of the gospel is that heaven is the good place and hell is the bad place. And God's chief concern is getting you out of hell and into heaven before he you know, torches planet earth or whatever. But the far more beautiful truth of the gospel of salvation is that Jesus Christ is in the restoration business. He wants souls saved, bodies healed, minds made right, spirits cleansed, families made healthy and whole, blocks, cities, regions, nations, all of them. He wants prospering harmoniously and all of these things are central to why Jesus shed his blood, not just saving souls. If we settle for souls saved, but not lives transformed, we water down the blood of Jesus. Well, brother, some will say, all of these things will be restored in the kingdom of God by and by. And you know, that's a nice thought, but that's actually not what Jesus said. The Bible says, that Jesus sent his disciples to heal the sick and raise the dead, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, it's like my friend JR always says, reach out your hand really quick. How far away is at hand? It means it's right there. But in another place, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you. 
there's a moment where the religious leaders of the day were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And he said to them, Satan cannot cast out Satan, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, what does that mean? It means that any time the kingdom of God is established, that which is not of his kingdom is necessarily expelled, reversed, restored, and healed. And that is a present reality. That is for now. In fact, that is already within you, waiting to come out. And so we're going to spend a whole lot more time unpacking that. But I say all that because I want you to notice something. Do you see how all of these beliefs are ultimately connected to one another? Do you see how quickly we can begin to see the cracks in even our most basic understandings and assumptions about the gospel just by bringing up the subject of healing? And so in this series, it is my firm hope and expectation that by the end, you will have the confidence to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. To get there, of course, we will cover some practicals like how to approach people and where to and where not to put your hands and what kinds of things help and don't help in ministry situations. But before we get to that, we must first dive into our understanding of Father God's nature. Greg Boyd often says, your faith will never outrun your vision of God, meaning our mental picture of God completely determines the quality of our relationship with God. So it is my hope for you that you won't just be healing the sick, but that you walk away with a much bigger, wider, and more beautiful vision of who He is. It is my hope for you that when you say God is God, good. It won't just be a slogan, but a heartfelt reality that brings tears to your eyes. Of course, the practicals are always helpful, but really it's the revelation of his love that releases healing. And so when you see that, when you feel that, when you walk in that and wake up in that every day, the practicals tend to sort themselves out. In the next episode, we are going to dive into what I believe to be the two core tenets of healing. These are the beliefs behind the beliefs, the engines that drive the whole things. And we're going to dive into all the other ideas that they contain. But here they are. Number one, it is always God's will to heal. Always. And number two, the time for healing is always now. Now, if that sounds striking or controversial or hard to believe or flabbergasting or even just contrary to what you've always thought or read, well, then I want to extend an invitation to you because I'm not coming to you as some kind of self-appointed guru teacher. Really, there is nothing that I have that you don't already have by your union with Christ. But I do want to invite you to hear me out. Let's really dive into the scriptures together and see what we can find. Because the answer just might surprise you. 
You might find that the vision of God that you've been handed and carrying around actually needs a renovation. And just like I did in November of 2012, you might discover that the kingdom is a much bigger, stranger, and more present place than you ever thought. You might discover that our God is more beautiful and good than even the most exaggerated and optimistic imaginations could fathom. With that in mind, I'll see you guys next week. But I do want to leave you with a prayer. Holy Spirit, I invite you to manifest yourself in a brand new way to the people listening. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we go on this journey together, that you would point your finger on the places in our thinking and in our hearts that need an upgrade, that need to be transformed, that need to be changed, because you are so good, so much better than we could have ever imagined you to be. And yet so many of us, have been sitting under teaching or, or just building up theological frameworks that effectively block out the, the revelation that you want to share with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you just begin to awaken hearts, that they would begin to feel that fire in their soul, that goodness, that, whew, that voice of truth just beginning to dismantle all of the lies until we can confidently say from our guts that you are good. Yes, I thank you that this is going to go out to those who are hungry to experience all that you have given to us on the cross. And ultimately, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the teacher, that they don't they don't need a, a, a podcast or a a class to teach them how to live in the spirit. You can do all of that. But if this acts as a catalyst, then that would be so amazing. So thank you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. Oh, we thank you for your sweet, sweet, sweet presence in our lives. Train us and equip us to recognize that more each and every day. Amen. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. If you'd like to support this ministry, it is super easy to do so. All you've got to do is go down and hit the link in the description, visit our Patreon page, and sign up. Any amount of monthly giving is going to unlock all kinds of extras and behind-the-scenes rewards. Another quick and easy way you can support us is you can just give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Each and every one of those goes a long way. I'm praying that God seals everything you heard today in your heart and that you stay rooted and grounded in His everlasting love. Thanks again. God bless.